Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. And we are on the last verse of chapter one. We spent a lot of time in the verse and we kind of anticipated the Rashi a little bit. We didn't actually read the Rashi out loud, so that's what we'll get to today. And then we'll jump into the very interesting and wonderful chap- second chapter of Shemot. So just to remind us of what the verse is in chapter 22, we just translate literally without um, commenting on it. Pharaoh commanded to his entire nation, Lamor, saying, Kol haben hayilod, every son that is to be born, hayyora tashlichuhu, cast him into the river, v'chol habat techayun, and every daughter you shall uh, make sure that they live. So what we played with and danced with for at least a half an hour last time is this notion of what does l'chol amo mean? Not, not what the words mean. We know what the words mean, that he spoke to his nation. But it seems that if you read, read it with a fine, a fine tooth comb, it's... It, How can you giving, read with a comb? What's that? How can you read with a comb? You can, with, with, with enough snark, you can read with a comb. The comb. Okay. Um, and um, and, it's, and it, it seems to be that he is giving an instruction, not only to his people about the Hebrews, but to his people about all children. Obviously, you could also read it not that way, right? Like, it's not a force. You don't have to read it that way. But you, you can read it that way. And because it's, it's curious in the text, that's exactly how um, some of the commentators read. And we also focus a little bit on the fact that Uncleus, when he comes to translate that verse, he adds in the, in some ways, obvious contextual phrase, Bara any son that is born to a Judean, to a Hebrew. But that's not what the verse says. Okay, so with that in mind, let's read the Rashi that we kind of anticipated, but we didn't have a chance to actually um, read last week. Uh, Renee, do you want to start with the Rashi or do you want to start with the next verse? Can you want to read today? Renee, do you want to start with that Rashi? It doesn't matter. I can do that. Okay, good. Lekol amo afalehem gezer. Afalehem gazar. So that's gazar, not, sorry. not that they're not that he put a carrot on them, right? <laughs> this is this is like what's that that joke? Shira ladernai ki gamalala. I will sing to God because there's a camel on me. Now, so sometimes um, there are there there are hama hamagraphs even in Hebrew. So this is the root gazar, which is going to be an interesting root because it's going to come up in the next Rashi as well. Okay. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Afalehem Gazar. He the houses of he made houses for them. And oh, you're, you're, the, you're in the previous Rashi. Go to the next. Oh, Rashi. sorry. Uh, okay, to all his people, he decreed right. upon off meaning even. So the first thing Rashi says is, "Yes, reader, I am going to read it that way. Yes, mm-hmm. reader, I know that Uncle Is." Reads, reads it differently, but I'm going to say when he gave this instruction to Lechol Amo, he even decreed this awful murderous decree, that's Gazar decree, on his own people. Af Alehem Gazar. Go ahead. Yom Shenolad Moshe, because on the day that Moshe was born, Amrulo 
Itztagninav. That's that's a Hebrew Greek word, Hebrew from the Greek, um, meaning an advisor or or, or or soothsayer, right? Astrologer. So, astrologer, good. Ayom nolad Moshian. Today Israel's Savior was born. Ve'en anu yodim But we don't know if he was born of the uh, Egyptians or of the Israelites. Okay, so we have this midrash that comes. Um, from I forgot the, the the exact source of the midrash. Um, it's in the footnote, but I can't read it because it's too small. My glasses are are not working so well today for some reason. Um, that tries to explain in what set of circumstances Paro could possibly have basically called for infanticide not only for the Hebrews but for his own people. So in this midrash, on the day that Moshe was born, right, which is interesting because in our story. Moshe is not born yet. Moshe is about to be born in chapter two. So it's interesting that it, this is kind of, we're, we're, we're playing around the chronology here. On the day that Moshe was born, his astrologer said to him, we've, we've got a vision. We have a prophecy that the savior of the people that you are enslaving, who's going to undo this enslavement, he was born, to, he was born today. But we don't know. In Anach Neodim, Im Mishraim, Im Mishra. We don't know if he's a Hebrew or a um or an Egyptian. What's kind of um, subversively wonderful? It's obviously fanciful, but what's subversively, subversively wonderful about the way Pharaoh's visors are, are portrayed in this Midrash? Barry? Uh, it, it, well, it, it seems that uh, uh, God communicates not only uh, through our prophets to us, but God uh, communicates uh, through other people's uh, prophets as well. Um, uh, it, it's pervasive. Well, at least they, at least that they 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 think that God communicates to them, right? And it, it kind of sets them up as 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 bumbling prognosticators, like well, you imagine going were, into the into the well, king's bedroom saying listen we, we woke up this morning we 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 looked at the stars and we got a message and R- R- rashi is suggesting that uh, god communicates to um them also i'm not sure i think rashi is suggesting that they believe that they got this sign right but they but but they got a half sign they got a sign saying there, there's some danger to you king there's some danger to you and and the, and the people who the person who's going to save you was uh, was born today but but we don't but we don't know who it is. So 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 you you good luck doing what you need to do with that information. We wish we could help you more. I see Rick's hand and I see Norm's hand. Rick, uh, hi. Um, Can't hear you, Rick. Really? Um, how about now? That's uh, very very faint. Sorry. Um, my Silverman had the footnote on that story. It was E Z and then an R uh, and then one. Ezra Rabbah? I don't know what that is, but um, it's not in the Hebrew. It's just in the English. Uh-huh. E-Z. I, I've never... I don't know what that is. E, capital E, little Z. Renee, uh, you have that too, right? No. Oh. Well, no, I have a different one. After after Egyptian father or an Israelite, it's in parentheses, it's capital E and then little Z, and then a capital R, and then a 1. That so. seems to be a misprint. This probably should be EX, Exodus Rabbah, Shmot Rabbah. Oh, it makes right, sense that right, it's right. Shmot Rabbah. Okay. Um, Norm or Rachel? Um, I, I want to disagree with 
Barry on that. I think that what Rashi is telling us is that sometimes astrology is correct. Um, and in other places where, we, where, I've, where we've learned about soothsaying and so forth, the Jews are commanded not to go to astrologers and soothsayers, even if their science is valid. And so here he's saying, yeah, the Egyptians had astrologers. They were able to predict something. And it's legitimate in its own right, regardless of whether it came from God. Mm. We don't go to astrologers, but nonetheless, astrology is being mentioned here or whatever um, in the Torah. Yeah, or, or it's being alluded to, according to the Midrash, it's being alluded to in the Torah. And there's some information that filters through, but it's not complete information. And, and just played out because when you get incomplete prophecy, you, the, the, the message of the Midrash is that the catastrophe is doubled. Right, so you already have a wicked, murderous man who is willing to kill babies anyway. But because he got false information, all of a sudden it goes to um, wanton, not, not even specific, but wanton infanticide. In fact, let's keep reading the midrash um, uh, or the comment, uh, Renee. Yeah, well, oh, sorry, sorry, there was one more hand up. Sorry, Larry, Diane. Yeah, I just want to say that there's tremendous irony here because in fact Moshe was in some senses both an Egyptian mm-hmm. and a Hebrew mm. and so their prophecy was in some way more more true than maybe we realized that's interesting right that that the reason they got a mixed message about who about the identity of the savior is because the savior was going to have a mixed identity that's really interesting right so that ends up being in some ways like a around a, a around praise for these eat stagnine. They, they actually got, they heard it exactly right. They just couldn't decipher it. Right. Good. Um, Renee. So his destiny was, uh, was stricken through water. So there, we're still now back in the conversation that the, that the astrologers are having with Pharaoh saying, we got this message, some person of unknown origin and national identity was born today he is destined to be the person who's going to take your slaves away from you but we see we see that he's going to have a downfall with water so because we see he's gonna have a downfall with water we're going to tell you exactly what you should do with all the people who could be in that category and hopefully that will be the downfall that we foresaw keep reading so Pharaoh decreed for that day, Af al Hamitzraim upon the Egyptians too. Shena Amar, Kol Ben Ayeled, every born, every uh, son that's born, Velona Amar Kol Ben Ayeled leIvrim. Not all here. It's different. So here it's not all the ch- sons that are born, but all the sons that are born of the Hebrews. Right. Well, no, no. The reverse. He says. Because the, the Rashi is saying the reason why the, the engine for this Midrash that suggests that, that he um, decreed this upon the Egyptians too is because it does say, Shene'emar, it says, Kol ha-ben every son that is born, velo ne'emar, it does not say what uncle is translated as, which uh, is every, every born, born to the Hebrews. Vehem. Vehem lo ayu yodim. 
they they didn't know that the version that their version was his destiny was going to be stricken through the waters of the Meriva. Who thinks they understand what's going on in that last sentence? What, what is it that the astrologers didn't know, and how does that impact the through line of the Midrash? They, they didn't know his exact fate. They just knew that he was going to suffer through water. Right. So what's the reference to Mei Meriva, the suffering through water that Moshe does actually go through? Well, he's... Barry? Can't hear you, Barry. Trying to unmute you, but I can't hear you. When Moshe hits the rock and he can't go into the land. Right. So Moshe ends up living in our scene because of what we're about to see, Miriam. But the, the thing that he actually wants most to do in his life later on is to go to the land of Israel. The reason why he can't is because he gets mad at the rock. Those are the waters of Mamariva. So the astrologers saw that the savior of Israel is, gonna, is going to die on some level through water. But they got the, mix, they, they got the messages mixed. He wasn't going to die through water as an infant. He's going to, his, his, his life is not going to reach its, the, the place he wanted to go because of water. And so the instruction they gave to Pharaoh was close-ish, but not close enough. Alan and then Rick. No, um, that was just the comment regarding about what was maybe about uh, Okay, Rick. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Never Everyone's mind. getting very shy. Okay. Um, so the, where, where this Midrash leaves us, if we kind of compare it for to where we were in the beginning, it, it, the, the, the easiest way to read the shot of the story is that the, the instructions to his, that, that he was um, creating a greater army of people to, to do his d- uh, dirty work for him, right? That's the command to all of his na- people, all of his uh, nation, but we don't have to read Kol HaBen HaYilod to be so so generic as every child born in the nation. It means every child amongst the people that you know that I want to be rid of, every male child you throw into the water. But by by recognizing that it doesn't add that Hebrew, Rashi opens up through the Midrash this notion which gives us the pleasure, right? We, we Jewish readers, the pleasure, as it were, of seeing kind of fumbling astrologers, Pharaoh who, who, who got a, a, some information about the life that Moshe is about to lead, but information that actually undermined Pharaoh's ability to do anything significant about it, right? And we also, as the reader, get a preview. We, we kind of get the arc of Moshe's life in one little midrash. He's, he's born today, and we're already thinking about the way his life is going to end at the end of his service to the Jewish people. Uh, I see Barry, then Norm, Rachel, then Matt. Okay, uh, I, I'm repeating kind of what I brought up last week, uh, the, the political historical context that uh, the people have already been denuded of all their property and land holdings uh, through uh, what uh, Joseph's um, recommendation was to Pharaoh. They, they've given everything up. They're, they're, they've been denuded. And, and now Pharaoh is commanding that they throw their sons in the water. I just, uh, it's uh, re- remarkable that he would, he, he would, be absurd as to command his people to do this at this time in history. I mean, it is a bit of absurd. It's an awful scene. It's a, it's a bit of an absurdist midrash, but it's an absurdist midrash that presents again 
Pharaoh, again, not only is evil, but out of his mind. Evil and out of his mind. That's a very bad combination. Uh, Norm, Rachel? Um, both uh, of us. Both of us. Ah. Um, you should have raised your hand. With then. This uh, story of the astrologers, what uh, it brings to mind um, that there's in the in the Christian Bible, and there's a analogous story when Jesus was born that Herod heard yeah. that the person who would overthrow him had been born and proceeded to try to kill all the babies. So um, I just, that, that was what echoed for me. And uh, I just, does anybody else recognize that particular story as being analogous? I see, I see a bunch of um, heads yeah. nodding. I see Tova's hand shooting up. So let me hear what you have to say, Tova. Okay. Yeah. Hi. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely was thinking about that. Uh, I think I mentioned it last week. Uh, that uh, the irony is that the solution when Herod orders the, the massacre of, or the slaying of the innocents, it's like a major uh, theme in a lot of Christian art, is, this, is the slaying of the innocents by Herod of all of the of babies of a certain age. Joseph and Mary seek refuge. They escape to Egypt. Mm-hmm. which I, is really ironic in the in the parallel to this story. And as I said, I, it, I, it has to make me wonder the writers of the Gospels must have been aware of this and what they intended by that parallelism, I'm not entirely sure. Right, and remember that early rabbinic literature, I'll get you one second, Elon, and the Gospels are very contemporary, right? Yeah. And, and, and they, in some ways they are in very important conceptual points of departure, right? The, 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 the gospels in some way are a rejection of the notion of, of, of a rabbinic Judaism, or at least of a interpretive Judaism. Right. Um, and, and many, many scholars have wondered for years, the extent to which they did or did not do what the man Jesus actually wanted them to do with his life and his legacy. But it was, that's, that's the place where these cousins become very, very far apart in the family tree, but it's, it's almost impossible to imagine they didn't influence one another. Right? I don't know nearly enough about the um, the, the, the dating and the, and the overlap to know whose influence, which which one influenced the other more. Is there more midrash in the gospel, or is there more um, you know g- g- gospel concept in the midrash? I'm not sure. Midrash lasts longer, right? Midrash kind of start to happen in the years 150, 200, 250, um, and then. Uh, it continues, you know, throughout all, even to the early Middle Ages. I mean, it's continuing now, but a classic Midrash goes all the way to the 6th, 7th uh, century. And obviously the Gospels are completed and codified before that. But it's really an interesting thing to study. And there are people who have made careers over studying the, that exact nexus. Elon? Yeah, that was going to be my point, which is I don't think it's fair for us to say that uh, that this um, preceded the, the gospels, right? We, we, which is exactly your point. We don't, we're not sure which preceded, which uh, I'm also curious as to why this didn't spook Rashi a little bit, because it's clearly uh, very Christian, the notion of, you know, unto us, a savior was born. Right. And even just reading that language to begin with spooked me, right. It, right. it just made me feel uncomfortable. Um, and I'm curious 
uh, obviously we'll never know as to why that didn't have the same effect on Rashi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me, let me hear from um, Norm and then Matt, cause I think your hand was up and then I'll see if I can kind of resolve some of that. Norm, Norm, Rachel. Oh, we don't hear you yet, Norm. Sure. There you go. Okay. Um, I think the astrologers got it exactly correctly. And it's a sign of Pharaoh's stupidity that he tries to avoid by killing the boys. They say the boy has been born who's going to grow up and over and overthrow you. Um, and they're right. They say he'll be hurt by water. They're right. He decides to put an end to it now, but he's wrong. That it's too late. He doesn't just accept it and decide to postpone it to the end of his natural life or anything. He tries to kill all the babies. It's too late. The baby has been born. The more remarkable thing is why he later allows this baby, obviously born on approximately that day, to be brought up in his household. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, it's interesting to compare the rabbinic midrashim with uh, the gospels. It's also interesting to compare them to Greek mythology, right? Greek mythology is replete with notions of, of fates being impossible to outrun, right? So this is Pharaoh getting information that, that he thinks he can be, he can out clever the fate, right? And then it just, it, it, it actually gets significantly worse for him, like a Chinese finger torture, right? Uh, Matt and then Tova. Uh, I was going to say, yes, uh, to Norm, it's that the same that it was basically like an outstanding intelligence coup on his part. And it was only the, um, I mean, they had the beginning and the end of Moshe's life, and we—that's astounding. And just relying on the stars, um, and then again, just like Stalin knew that the Germans were going to turn on him in 1939, but he ignored it because he didn't—he didn't ignore it; he disregarded it because various reasons. But in the end, he tried—he chose the wrong response and tried to change fate, like you said. Yeah. Well, in an interesting way of like form matching content. So 41, I mean, not 39, 41. Sorry, go ahead. The, the way you just described it, Matt, is that they, 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 they got the shot. They just got the midrash wrong. <laughs> but this is taking place in a midrash. The, the shot was that the savior was born and he's going to be and he's going to be uh, wounded by water. All right. But the, but but their interpretation of those factoids were totally yeah. off base. Tova. Uh, yeah, I was uh, just going to say, though, it doesn't explain why Rashi is not resonating with similarity to, to the story of uh, Herod and, and the innocents. Uh, I'd say for the time that the Gospels were being written and the time that the, Midra- the early Midrashim were being written, as, as, as you already said, Rabbi, this, this was a really common theme and perhaps even more than recognizing a parallel between the two stories they were telling, they were in a world that were full of those kinds of stories. Yeah. And so I would say that that would more dominate their imagination than necessarily that they were creating a parallel narrative. Yeah. Great. It kind of the way that, uh, you know, when, when, when musical artists, there, there are times when they are clearly and consciously and, 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 uh, inappropriately borrowing, uh, bars or, or combinations of notes from previous artists. And sometimes it's just in, with you know, the music's in their head because they're, they've been exposed to, you know, if you're a musician, you listen to a lot of music, there's going to be a natural way in which some of that's going to come out in your, in your own composition. Okay, good. Uh, can we go on to chapter two? Anything else on this chapter? 
Yashkoach, Yashkoach to Renee. Um, let's see, Carol, you up for reading today? Um, I don't have uh, Rashi. You don't have Rashi. I do not have um, Rashi yet on this. Okay. So I'll I'll pass today. Okay. Uh, let's see, uh, Leonard, do you want to read um, chapter two, verse one? Oh, we didn't finish. Sorry. Did we finish? Yeah, we finished. Okay, we finished that Rashi. Okay. Vayelach ish mi beit levi, vayikach et bat levi. And a man from the house of Levi came and took the daughter of Levi. Okay. So perfect translation. What do you think the verse means? I have no clue. <laughs> so the, the, uh, the, this is one of the situations where the Hebrew words are pretty simple. We've got two verbs. We know what the verb lalechet means, to go. We know what the verb lakacha means, to take. We know what the word ish means. We know what bait means. So a man from the house of Levi went, and he took a daughter of Levi. He procreated. Um, say that again, Le- Leonard? He procreated. Or, or if he didn't procreate, he certainly um, started that relationship. If you look at Uncleish's translation, the Azal Guvara Midebet Levi, Azal is the Aramaic for Halach, a man from Beit Levi, Unasib Yatbat Levi. Nasib in Aramaic is to marry. So Uncleish translates Lakach as marry, which is in some ways a it's not a prediction of because Uncleus obviously knows the whole Torah, but the the verb that's going to be used um, in in the book of Shemot later on, and when laws are given in Vayikra, uh, actually Bamidbar, when a man takes a woman, Vayikach Ish, right? So the, the the Torah's verb for marry is not Kiddushin, it's not Erusin. There's no root Aras like Verastichli uh, in the Torah. The Torah's root, uh, sorry, that's, there is a root for that um, uh, in the book of Barim, but the basic word for to marry is lakach, to take, right? Um, which can be uh, evocative in many ways, some of them pr- uh, problematic. Larry, your hand is up, or Diane? No, this was me. So you asked what it means, what we think it means, and what I think it means is what it says, that this man from, the, from this Levite, married a Levite woman, and that's all. But obviously, that's not what everybody else thinks it means. And why, before we talk about, there's obviously a long midrash about this, but why was it troubling to the commentators, Rashi and all the other commentators, or the people that wrote the midrash, that um, this was so simple? This is somebody telling us that this is a pure, Levite is going to be issue, going to come out of the issue. It's a Levite and a Levite. Great. So your question is, why is there a question? Well, yeah, well, you asked, you asked what it means. So I'm, right. going to, I'm going to stand up for the simple shot meaning. Right. It tells us what the... Um, right. That, that, well, Moshe is going to come out in a minute, but that Moshe was a Levite. Period. The end. Right. But obviously, I'm not going to say I'm wrong. But obviously there are other opinions, and I don't understand why people are troubled by the simplicity of this statement. Right. 
Right. I, I think we all kind of agree, Larry, that that's, that's the data being shared, that we have a Levite man marrying a Levite woman. We, the reader, who is not reading this for the first time, know who's going to extend from that issue. We know that's going to be a pure Levi. The, the, what, what, what Rashi's going to about to zoom in on is the, I think, the choice of verbs, right? And, and the notion of there being a, uh, an, another Vayikach, because Vayikach in the Midrashic mind, given the way the verb is used in the Torah, suggests marry, and they're going to question. They're, they're going to they're going to question something about the status of this marriage. Barry. Trying to unmute you. Um, it, 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 if you just want to do shot, then it, you would begin with vayikach. But why begin with vayelach? Good. That's another great question on the verse that Rashi doesn't pay attention to, right? We, we don't need the Vayelech. Now, again, colloquially, we, 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 we throw out words we don't need all the time when we're speaking, right? The guy went and got married too. No. Okay, but we could also say the guy got married too. Right. Well, what's, what's, what's the going? What's the going? What's the went? Rashi totally no. ignores that, but it's a, it's a good question on even a simple uh, sentence. Tova? Um, I think one of the things that might be puzzling is that this thing suggests that he went, he took her to wife, and then to anticipate she gets pregnant and, and bears Moses. And yet, as we'll learn as we go on in the story, Moses has an older brother and sister, who I believe is, are also identified as of the same mother. So why does it appear to be saying that he is going and marrying her now and bearing Moses when she's presumably already born children? Exactly right. And that comment is a critical comment to understand the unspoken question in the Rashi you're about to read. Because the Rashi you're about to read is a fascinating Rashi, but it, as he always, often does, leaves out the question that's bugging him. And that's the question that's bugging him, right? We're about to learn. And we're not stupid. We're about to learn that Moshe is born. And we learn later on in life, later on in the next verse, that he has older siblings. So if Moshe is about to be born and his older siblings, then were they born out of wedlock? Because the verse seems to suggest that a Levite man married a Levite woman, and then Moshe is born. So that so it's very important to kind of hold on to that, uh, what, what Toba just said. Otherwise, the, the Rashi is interesting, but, but not grounded. We're about to read. Thank you for that, Toba. Anyone else on the verse itself before we jump into the Rashi? Judy, I see your hand. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, so that just occurred to me, the Midrash, that... Um... They separated from each other, which would explain the fact that he had to go and take her. Because wasn't it that they decided to live? Uh, is that a midrash? So hold, 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 hold the thought. We're, we're going to get there, but I want to get there inside the text. And then we could talk about it. But we're, we're about to go to that exact place, Judy. You're, okay, you're, so that's you're a good astrologer. You read the signs and you know that that's coming. Okay, good. Um, anything else on the verse itself? Anyone want to throw out a, qu- a comment on why the, why we have a vayelech and a vayikach? Kind of trying to answer Barry's question, which which I'm sure some midrash does somewhere, but Rashi doesn't pay attention to it. Or do you want to we leave it alone? Uh, Vered? <clears throat> Maybe they weren't together. Maybe he had to go someplace. So first they say, okay, so he went wherever she was, and then he took her, hmm. 
and they got married and something happened. So Vayelech means that she was elsewhere, maybe because there were some degrees or some laws that they weren't supposed to be together, or maybe he went and he took mm-hmm. her. So that's, really, that's a really interesting answer, and that will add even more fodder to the Midrash you're about to read. I need to pause for three minutes to just do one thing in my house, so I'm going to just turn my mute off. I guess I can unmute you all so you can talk amongst yourselves if you want, and I'll be back in three minutes. Do you want me to unmute you or you want to stay quiet? Unmute? No, unmute. Okay. You're all unmuted. I'll be right back. Okay. All right. Varen? Yes. Varen, I just want to say you were right on the money. Even Ezra, even Ezra says, uh, are talking about the word went, apparently she lived in another city. All the Israelites lived in Ramses, but there were a number of different cities there. So you, Alan, and Ibn Ezra, you and Ibn Ezra match. Alan, you know, we, we, uh, we always say that there are no extra words in the Tanakh. <clears throat> so each word probably has a meaning. So he had to go somewhere because she was in a different place. Maybe because they had laws that they couldn't be together by Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's order, and then he took her. Well, very Alan, all the commentators know the Midrash, which we're going to get to in a minute, that in fact he either divorced her or they split up because he didn't want to have any children because he already knew the decree. But the answer to the question about Vayelech Cheskuni answers that one directly. And Cheskuni says, it starts with Vayelech because he, Amram, took the advice of his daughter. So it actually makes Miriam the, the, the main actor in this entire scene. You get that Nagata every year. Absolutely not. Huh. see. Moses' parents already had two other children, Miriam right. and, and Aaron. Right. So the theory is that when when Pharaoh came out with his decree, the parents separated from each other so that the kids, you know, so that the boys wouldn't be drowned. And, and the Miriam went to his father. This is what... Um, uh, Rodman is saying here, and that is that Miriam went to his father and said, your decree is worse than Pharaoh's. Because Pharaoh was only, you know, after the boys, but by not having any children, you're getting rid of both the boys and the girls. Yeah. So um, here I am, I'm back. We jumped into that, into the very Midrash the Rashi is going to bring, which is great, but I also said there were some hands up uh, we, 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 solved everything. Uh, we, we, we solved it without you. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. So should we just move forward? Did you start, did you start reading the Rashi? No. Okay. So, uh, Leonard, start reading the Rashi. You, you were actually just paraphrasing it in English, but now let's start reading it. Okay. And by the way, before you read the Rashi, there are going to be, there are, there are, there's a longer and shorter version of this Rashi in, in this book, which we have, only the shorter one appears. 
um, in others, including another one that I have in front of me, this Rashi, the longer one will appear, it might appear in parentheses and it might be attributed to Rashi Hayashan, some, some kind of collection of Rashi's commentaries that included things that, that some print, printers do not. So, and the more, and between you and me, the, 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 the key interesting part of this Rashi appears only in that Rashi Hayashan, which does not appear in our book. So we'll see, Leonard, which, which volume of Rashi do you have in front of you? Well, I'm going to be reading from this one. Can't see it, uh, but it's uh, a Pentateuch and Rashi commentary. Okay, start reading, and we'll see if that one includes or excludes this uh, kind of extra interesting part. Yeah, I think it's the same as our regular text here. But anyway, okay. Vayikach et bat levi, perushaya mimena mipnegzerat paro. And to help you translate, instead of reading it as perush. Read it as parush. Does that make a uh, distinction? Does that make a distinction for you? Yeah. So it he um, he was separated from her because of the decree of Pharaoh. Okay. There is an enormous amount of emotional and psychological material in those six words. What does that mean? That he and the he here he's unnamed we we're going to know soon that his his name is Amram or later on but here he's unnamed he's a levite man was separated from her parush hayamimena separated from her because of pharaoh's decree what 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 does that mean what's the connection between pharaoh's decree and a hebrew man not being with his wife well we were talking about this in your absence that uh, Pharaoh's decree was to throw all the boys into the river and so in order not to uh, have to throw their boys into the river he separated from his wife so that they wouldn't have any more children right right so if if, if the, the, why bring life into the world when <coughs> chances are very high that that life will never have a chance of living right and this is not in any way, uh, you know, a, a complete um, analogy, but it, it resonates for me. Um, 9-11 uh, happened when Javi was eight months and three weeks pregnant. And all of this, all of life in, with Noah and all of kind of life and society seemed like it was changing on the dime then, right? And it's not that we were thought that we'd be giving birth to a child who individually would be threatened, right? But it, it, it felt different to be starting to be parents the day after 9-11 than the day before 9-11. It felt like it was a different world. And I know that there were many people who, uh, who kind of were, were wondering, is this the world that I want to bring a child into? So here, laser focused, you have one family. Here's the decree of Pharaoh, does not think that they're going to be able to, to push against it or escape. And so, so this guy, Amram says, I'm going to separate and separate. You understand I'm not, it does not mean, you know, separation vis-a-vis divorce it means physical separation he 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 withheld from her because he didn't want there to be a baby born that was going to be thrown into the water okay um what's the next word in your commentary uh letter okay so then we need to find someone who has a has the next word in the commentary anyone have that okay matt will you read that so read it slow because not everyone has it in front of them Sure. And it's in this funny type typeface, but I'll try. Chazar ulakacha. This is in parenthesis. Chazar ulakacha v'zehu vayelech. 
Shahalach Ba'awat, no, Ba'atzat Bito. Okay, pause and see if you can translate that. He went again and took her. Right. So remember Tova's point and Bered's um, uh, explanation for why Vayelech is there in addition to Vayikach and, and Barry noting two verbs. So this comment attributed to Rashi and appears in some Rashi commentaries and is true to the Midrash upon which the Rashi comment is based, says, mm-hmm. He went and married her again. He yeah. remarried her. He retook her. He was intimate with her again. Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's why you have this verb, Vayelech. He did go. He went. Right. Bito on the on the wisdom or the counsel of his daughter. Keep reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine this finger wagging. What? I just imagine this finger wagging from right, Mary. Right, right. So he he, uh, he went on the advice of his daughter, who said to him. Your decree is more harsh than that of Pharaoh. Your decree is worse than Pharaoh's. In what way is your decree worse than Pharaoh's? Keep going. Right. Uh, I'm just going to move a place in my house because there's several classes going on in my house right now. I'm moving to the room. Keep going. All right. So if so, uh, if uh, Pharaoh decreed on the males, and you also on the females. Right. And the way I think we should understand this "if" is not meaning really a conditional "if" like we have it in English, but like okay, okay, uh, we, we I, I stipulate. That sure, Pharaoh yeah. did decree the males, but but you've decreed on the females. How has and what what's the what's the thrust of that critique that that Miriam says? In what way has her father decreed also on the females? Because he prevented them from being born. They're not even being born, right? right? Forget about being born and being killed. You Pharaoh is making sure that no Israelite boys will will live. You're making sure that no Israelite boys or girls will live. Okay, keep going. And then it says that that's from Barashi uh, Hayashan. So right, and now we're probably back to the letter has the hechsira. So we're going to go back to our regularly scheduled programming and have Renner read. But Barry has a hand up first. Um, so are, are are we assuming that during this period of time, that in fact all the uh, Egyptians and the Israelites were in fact throwing their babies in the river? Say the question again, Barry. Are, are we assuming that at the time that Moshe de- that, that Amram decided to, to leave from his wife, at, the, at that time, that in fact, all the Egyptians and the Israelites were in fact throwing their baby boys in the river? I think we're assuming that there is a fear that your ch- any child born to you will not live. I, I got that, but be, 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 because in fact, that's what they were doing. I, I don't know. This is, this is astounding. It is astounding, right? It, it, and, and I think that even if we kind of 
go into that morbid fantasy is not that the Hebrews were doing it to themselves, but that there was that there that the officers of the guard could come at any moment and seize your child and uh, and murder him. Yeah, right. I mean, it's uh, and 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 again, things that our people have actually experienced in a very real way throughout our history. Um, Alan, is your hand up from before or now? Before, okay. Um, all right. So, uh, Leonard, now keep reading the Hechsira. So he returned her, he took her back, and he made with her a second taking. A second taking with taking in Hebrew meaning marriage, right? So just to understand all the things that's being said in that in that sentence. So we've 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 explained why it's a vayelech, because he, he went after Miriam said, you got to go back to mommy. We understand why it's a likicha. He was married before. Aaron and Miriam are not children at a wedlock, but it was a version of a second wedding night. Right? There was another likicha. What's interesting about this midrash is that it also suggests that Moshe is not born, it wasn't an accidental third kid, Right? There, there, it, it's you know it, a, a love child, right? That on um, the midrash crafts this romantic notion, born of tragedy, of Miriam saying, "You, but you have to go back to mommy, to mom, and 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 create life again." And that's what, and that's how Moshe is born. Remember that um, when we get to a very short but interesting Rashi on the on the actual moment of Moshe's birth. Um, the Rashi continues. Any comments on? On that so far. Okay. Uh, I can't see everyone at all times. So if you're, if you are raising your hand, try to raise it digitally because that's what I see instantly. Okay. Leonard. Uh, and also she changed to become a young woman, young uh, girl. So you, some of you might have known from just midrashic tellings this notion of Miriam castigating her father to go back to uh, uh, Yocheved, but there's another component to this layer of, of, of midrash that imagines another miracle have taken place. And remember it from the stories of Breshi, where Sarah is referred to as having great, great youthful vitality even at that advanced age and being able to give birth. Look at how uh, Rashi is going to do a math problem here. <laughs> to show that a Miriam, Miriam, a miracle happened with Yocheved. Again, I'm calling her Yocheved because that's what Cherning will be. We don't know her name yet. Um, and she returned to her youth. Watch this math. Go ahead. Okay. I thought you didn't do Rashi math. I know. This one is worth doing. You're right. Most, most Rashi math I don't do. This one is short and worth doing. Okay. Uvat kaflamet shana haita shanoda bevoa amla mitzrayim. Okay, so she was 130 years old. When? When was she 130 years old? When she uh, she was 130 years old because she was born when they arrived in Egypt between the walls. Okay, so two things. So Rashi's saying that in this moment, as she's becoming pregnant with Moshe, she's 130 years old. 
And we know that because some of you may remember there's a Midrash, I think in a Rashi reference, I think in Vayigash, that suggests that Yocheved was born when, the, when, when Jacob and his entourage are, are, are coming down into Egypt and they're kind of in between the walls of, 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 of you know, in, in between the border, right? So she's born when they get to Egypt. Um, hold the hands for one second. I just want to finish the comment. Uh, you have, you have, you have ba? No, I don't. I'm just, uh, never mind. Sham. Okay. Uh, so what does that mean? Uh, she was 120, no, 110. Uh, Nishtahu apparently means remained there. Mataim the Eser, 210. Uh, 210, okay. There are several different um, countings in the Midrash, in the Haggadah, for how many years the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, right? And it does not matter to me at all which one is right. It just matters to me how interestingly they piece together. According to this Midrashic thrust, the Israelites were enslaved not for 400 years, but for 210 years. Nishtahu, they remained there. The root is shin hey hey to remain, meaning the Israelites remained in Egypt. So the Israelites were in Egypt within 10 years. When they got there, she was 130. Keep going. Sorry. When, no, today when, she's when, right, when they got there, she was born. And how do we know that she, today she's 130? Because? Because, because haya Moshe ben Shmonim Shana. Uh, what does that mean? Okay, because when the Israelites left is, uh, Egypt, Moses was 80 years old. Okay, so you and have to compose- were there for 210 years, and you subtract the 80 years, and apparently there's no gestation period. That means that... Uh, oh, you, just, you just wait. We're going to get to gestation in another verse. Okay. Um, right. So, so if you do all that, you carry the one and you, uh, and, you put, and you use the quadratic formula, negative B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus 4AC all over 2A, you get that at this moment in Yocheved's life, she's 130 years old. And why is that significance? Keep going. Uh, in Ken... Mm. So translate that last piece. Okay. If so, when she became pregnant with him, she was 130 years old. And yet still the Torah calls her? Bat Levi, a daughter of Levi. So the punchline at the end is, we've proven, Rashi would say, she's 130 years old. And she's referred to as a, as a, as a, as a Levite maiden. This suggests that not only did Miriam successfully get her father to return to her mother to produce love, but a miracle happened in that hut and she was no longer 130 years old. <coughs> she, she was as young as she was when she was a young maiden. You would never refer to a 130-year-old um, um, woman who has children as a bot anyone, but but yes here right. So that's that's the double miracle that happens. Okay, I see Norm Norm and Rachel's hand, and then Barry's hand, and I see Diane and Larry. So let's go Norm Norm Barry Larry. Um, I think it's crucial to point out that it says in our verse that he marries a boss lady. It's not simply a woman of the house of Levi. It is actually a daughter of Levi. 
And that's why she has to be at least that old. Oh, interesting. You know, she could have been a 20 year old of the house of Levy, but she has to be that old in order to have been an actual daughter of Levy. Nice. And so I think that's really crucial to understanding why Rashi does this and why we need to. That's great. I never picked up on that, right? He is Bait Levy, but she is Bath Levy. Very good. Uh, Barry, Larry, Diane, and Joel. Can't hear you yet, Barry. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, actually, I like norms rather than what I'm going to say. Um, so you, you mentioned, Rabbi, the, the element of romance. Uh, it's it's um, it, it's at it's at the time that he took her, not at the time of pregnancy, that we're focused on her youthful loveliness. In other words, um, uh, it goes back to the Harkin when when they were. Um, how the women went down to the water and, and uh, encouraged the men to be with them. Uh, the, the miracle here is that Yoheba becomes miraculously young and uh, attractive to bring Moshe back to her to conceive. Yeah. And before I call on Larry and Diane, there's an interesting um, collection of Midrashim that really play around with how romance and sensuality was kept alive in enslavement, right? In fact, I think some of you know, because I've, I may have mentioned different times, that the, 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 one of the reasons why apple is a very common ingredient in haroset is because there is a, a line in the Talmud that the Tosfot comment on that suggests that um, the haroset is not only a symbol of the mortar, it's a symbol of the fact uh, re- related to the verse in Shir Hashirim, Tachat HaTapuach or Articha. Underneath the apple tree, I aroused you. That's a verse from Shir Hashirim. The rabbis of the Talmud of Masachat Psachim read that to mean that even after long, terrible, backbreaking, sweaty, smelly days of slavery, that the women would somehow fi- find a way to make themselves um, uh, redolent and beautiful and would entice their husbands out in the, under the apple tree and underneath the apple tree is where the next generation of Israelites were conceived. It's amazing that the rabbis are, uh, you know, have that image. And so they had that image for later on during slavery. And they're also playing with this image now that somehow the way that the Israelite people were able to perpetuate themselves is that miracles happened and people were more beautiful and young and vital to one another than they actually were. Right. And that's a form actually of, of, of passive resistance in the form of tyranny. Larry, Diane, and then um, Joel. So I commend everybody to go to Sota, to Talmud, Sota, um, Daf um, 12, side A, where all of this comes from. And it must come from a Midrash, but I don't see the Midrash being referred to. It seems that um, some Talmudic sage, who I don't know, Rav Yehuda Bar Zavina, is responsible for an awful lot of this, but almost everything that's in the Rashi, in the Cheskuni, and everything else that we've been saying is here, and even more. And the math is here as well. Yes. And the math basically is making the case, um, I just tried to read it quickly, that indeed, Yochevet had to be conceived on the road between um, uh, Eretz Yisrael and, and Mitzrayim. So it's, it's absolutely fascinating stuff. 
Yeah. And, and that rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Barzvina, is in some ways, as you said, responsible for, for, on that page of Talmud and through Rashi for really crafting the, like a traditional reader's understanding of this part of the Torah, a critical part of the Torah, and you almost never hear from ever again. It's not like he's a rabbi who comments regularly. Like, I, I, you know, every once in a while, that name comes up in the Talmud. But he is, because Rashi is so taken by that page of Talmud, he ends up being uniquely responsible for painting the picture of the, of the beginning of our, of, of, of the, of the, of our negative time in Egypt. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting how that happens in the course of intellectual history. Joel? I just wanted to comment that the alliteration continues between the bait and the bot that we had from the previous verses. Say more. That we had Vayas Lehem Batim, Vakola Bat Tachayun, and then now we say bait uh, Levi and Bat Levi. Yeah, so, good poetry. Right. And and particularly if you add to the alliteration, or to be maybe even more precise, the assonance, you have Ben Bat is all over these verses. Ben Bat, Ben Bat, Ben Bat. I call her Ben Hayulod, Bat Levi, Bait Levi, but um, Teled uh, Ben, and you, and even though it's it's not the same root, the the it, it, the sound is similar. We also have Tevat Gomet. Um, the the sound of bat built into the word for the little ark that um, that Moshe is going to be protected in. Great. Um, what's that? You can call it bat water. Bat water. <laughs> nice. Okay. Did we get to the end of that Rashi? I think we did. Okay. Um, any other comments on this Rashi? We maybe have time to start reading the next verse because I owe you three minutes. Tova. Um, I just wanted to comment a personal reaction and you sort of hinted at it. There's something so powerful about going from that first chapter where it, in a way it's on this kind of very generalized level. We're talking about the people growing and becoming mighty. We're talking about, you know, these goings on in the court. And then we plunge into this intimate story that starts with a husband going back to his wife and a child being born. And it's, it's changes from sort of almost abstract to very visceral. And I, I find it very powerful. Great. And, and, and if you pull back into how Genesis ended, right? So it's often said, and we mentioned this, that Genesis is the story of a family. Exodus is the story of a people. Yeah. But Exodus begins talking about a people, but then quickly focuses on a family, right? right. So we're not, with, we're not with Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah, and Rebecca anymore, but we're, we're, we're in one Israelite's home, right? And, and, that, that, and that Am blossoms from that one set of narratives and the rabbis really want to go in intimately and understand exactly what's happening. And I got to tell you once, once I, I don't remember where I was when I first learned this midrash about Miriam, but I know intellectually mm-hmm. that that story's not in the Torah. But when I think of the first and second chapters of, of Shemot, it's there. Miriam is castigating her father. And without that, that kind of chutzpah, mm-hmm. Without that sacred chutzpah, there's no motion, there's no salvation. That's in, it's, it's, I, can't dis, I can't disentangle it because the rabbis do such a good job of creating the, the, the emotional intensity of that home. Barry? Can't hear you yet. Just remarking again, uh, the, 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 the repetition of a theme in our people's history 
that r- romance it, it's between husband and wife water and, and how uh, the wells uh, the, the theme of the well the theme of the water the theme of uh, of uh, how uh, the, the people attracted to each other uh, it, it's not just making babies it's it's a matter of, of being attractive uh, that theme is repeated in our in our history and that's lovely uh, it's a very unique uh, for our people well, wooing is part of the of the Torah text and definitely a part of the Midrashic text. The notion of the notion of wooing. Uh, Alan, maybe you'll be the last comment. Go ahead, uh, Alan right. and Judy. Okay. Well, next to the last is good too. Um, there's a comment by Nachmanides about what Miriam was doing with all this, and that she was, in a sense, prophesizing that that her mother would bear a son who save Israel as part of that, bringing it together. And they tie it in, Nachmanis ties it into later on after, uh, after Yom Suf, when we talk about, you know, Miriam being the prophetess, Aaron's sister, there's no mention of Moshe. And that's, and that's because she had prophesied before Moses's birth and that she was his sister only to Aaron at that time and not to both. Correct. Um, and it's particularly interesting if you compare the prophecies happening in the palace, the astrology happening in the palace, which is kind of right, but they, but, but, but they don't know actually how to ap- apply it. And Miriam is having prophecy in this little hut, and she is right on. She is right on. And you're right. That, that's a wonderful – we'll get to that at some point, that Miriam is, is only – Miriam Hanaviyah is only Achot Aharon because she wasn't Moshe's sister yet with the time she was – she served as a prophet. Uh, Judy, you get the last comment. I I love what you said, Rabbi, and I'm and I'm walking away from this study with the midrashic um, injunction: cherish your assertive daughters and pay heed to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, um, in the same page of Talmud or around there, where the uh, discussion of apples um, as part of Haroset is discussed, and yes, obviously. That, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's botanically correct, but it's midrashically correct. Um, you say that, that um, how do I say this? One of the, 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 one of the exceptions to the normal exemption that in traditional Orthodox Jewish law, that women are exempt from positive time-bound mitzvot, right? The whole notion of whether or not women count in a minyan or whether they can be davening stems from the question of whether or not women are obligated to pray three times a day as men are in a traditional halachic um, um, viewpoint. I don't want to focus on that for a second, but even the Talmud and halacha was where there were some exceptions, right? Women are obligated to um, hear the Megillah. That's a positive time-bound mitzvah. Women are obligated to light Hanukkah candles. That's a positive time-bound mitzvah. Women are obligated to the four cups of wine at Pesach. That's a positive time-bound mitzvah. And there's, there's a section of the Talmud in the Tosfot commentary coming on it that says the reason why women were included in, in, in that obligation is because they were a significant part of that miracle, right? They were part of each of those three miracles. We'll, we can go into that another time, but the referent to the way in which the women were part of the miracle of Exodus from Egypt is Miriam. Miriam contributes to the miracle by permitting essentially Moshe to come into existence. So yes, you, you applaud your assertive, um, uh, your, your assertive daughters and I suppose your assertive sons as well. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.